Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough or even they don't. Today is May the 7th, 2013, and this is episode 1125 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, we're going to have a good one today. We're going to do a listener feedback show. But before we take your questions, I'm going to do about 20 minutes with Rob Gray from AOCS and Mulligan Mint. There's two reasons we're having Rob on today. One is going to be that he'd like to just speak a little bit about the... Uh, the issues with delivery on how he feels he let this audience down and, and, and basically apologize to you guys, tell you what he's done to make it right, uh, clear the air a little bit on the Chris Dwayne issue, and his basic statement about that is we're just going to do what we're obligated to do from our side of the partnership, and we're willing to talk to Chris when he wants to come back to the table and be an adult. Uh, so that, that's the summary of what you're going to hear on that, and I completely agree with that. Um, and then we're going to get into your questions and feedback. Uh, also, though, I'm having Rob on because something very big is happening tomorrow, but really that means midnight tonight. Uh, the Sentinel is coming, the Sentinel coin. Uh, there'll be more stuff coming on that on the blog today and some other things and a lot of stuff going on about the release of this coin. We're really excited about it, and uh, we'll tell you more about that. But we are releasing a limited edition Sentinel coin, which will have the backside be the, the, the ant, the, the beautiful and with the Cogito Ergo Sum Formica uh, slogan, there will only be a thousand of those, and those are a proof edition, limited edition coin. And then there is the main production run, which is going to have an incredible uh, backside. It's available now to see at tspmint.com. We're going to talk about those becoming available and uh, what the symbology is about and how we came up with them. And then I'll go into your questions. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. And sponsor of the day number one today is the Free State Project. Hey, do you live in a state that sucks? Get the hell out of there. Seriously, go somewhere else. That's why I set up my forum at walkingtofreedom.com so you can find a place to go uh, that if you lived in a stupid state like New Jersey, you might find a more free state to live in. Now, if you're from New Jersey and you live in that northeastern corridor and you don't want to leave the northeastern United States, and I did, but I can tell you there's some wonderful things about the northeast and you don't want to leave the northeast, I got a suggestion. Check out New Hampshire in the Free State Project. Remember... The Free State Project is the only sponsor on the Survival Podcast that's not really a sponsor. It's more that I sponsor them. And that's because I really believe in the work that they're doing to make uh, New Hampshire the freest state in the Union. Check them out today at freestateproject.org. Freestateproject.org is their website with the slogan of voting with your feet and liberty in our lifetime. Remember, though, if New Hampshire's not the place for you, this is a uh, republic of 50 states, and there are some states that may be more in line with what you're looking for. Love to have you down here in Texas. So also check out walkingtofreedom.com. Uh, next up, Harvest Eating, the awesome chef Keith Snow, who will teach you to make cooking a life school skill and teach you to cook seasonally and locally. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and independence, being able to cook for yourself, that's a big part of it. You can store up all the food you want, but if it tastes like crap, you're not really going to enjoy eating it. We like to thrive, not just survive around here. So check him out at HarvestEating.com. Subscribe to his podcast and check out some of his awesome seasoning, specifically low and slow barbecue. My favorite and my new favorite, uh, Montreal steak, which is a close second. and They go back and forth depending on what I'm cooking. 
and the uh, northern Italian. Those three seasonings alone, you can do some amazing things with your food if you get a little bit creative. And Chef Keith will help you do that at HarvestEating.com. Also want to remind you guys about 13 Skills, and I have a special announcement about 13 Skills. Um, we are actually right now able to take two advertisers at 13skills.com if you're interested uh, and getting one of those spots for your company will need a 125 by 125 banner. Uh, it can be animated. The cost is $65 a month. Uh, I will tell you that the two advertisers that left don't feel like they're getting enough traffic. Well, we're working on version 2.0 of the site right now. Uh, we locked that ridiculously low rate in for people for all of 2013. Um, and what we're going to have is going to be an awesome, you know, re-engineered site in about a month. So this is an opportunity to get in while you can. Uh, we do it by PayPal, automatic payments. You can cancel any time. That's what the other two advertisers did. Uh, so if you want one of those spots, uh, they are available. Email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com and put 13 skills in the subject line and tell me, uh, you know, where your company is and, uh, we'll get you set up with, uh, one of those advertising spots. Again, this is not for the survivalpodcast.com. This is for 13skills.com. Also, TSP Gear Shop is running a sale. I put a little, uh, blurb about it on the website today. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a pretty good deal. Let me just read you the blurb here. Uh, the TSP Gear Shop is having a 20% off sale on some of our most popular items through May 17th. All your favorite t-shirts and many other stickers and patches uh, you love have been reduced. Summer's almost here. Great time to stock up on t-shirts and other TSP gear. Uh, and as always, TSP Gear Shop provides free shipping within the U.S. To place your order, visit tspgear.com. Uh, so Kelly's running that sale over there, so uh, take advantage of it between now and And May 17th, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, and you'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. Some of the discounts are really big and pay for the membership in and of themselves. And I also, for people that have served our nation and our fellow man at home or abroad, through military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firemen offer a service discount. Just email me with service discount on the subject line at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com and tell me who you are and what you're doing. If you're currently doing your job or if you're prior service, who you are and what you did, do that in one or two sentences. Don't get too elaborate. Just let me know where you're coming from, and I'll send you a discount to uh, save you even more money on the member support brigade. It's very important that you do this before... Not after you join as a member, though. All right, with that said, I'm ready to get into the main topic of today's show. And uh, it's my good fortune right now to be able to say uh, to a good friend of mine, a man who, uh, who called the United States Congress thieves to their faces, and a guy that I am very happy to call a partner and a friend, Mr. Rob Gray. Hey, Rob, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Thanks a lot for having me again, Jack. It's good to be here, as always. Hey man, we've had a lot going on. Um, I, I think that the, the whole situation with uh, with Chris Dwayne has. Uh, I think most people understand that, but you did want to just take a, a couple minutes to address that uh, for this audience because there is some cross pollination between the two groups, and uh, I wanted to give you that opportunity first, and then we can move on to let's say happier things. Yeah, and just remember too uh, that you introduced uh, us to Chris Dwayne, so thank you very much. Absolutely. I mean, before you even go, I want to just say something. I've had people telling me from the uh, Chris Dwayne camp that it's not my business to speak about this. And I'm Rob's partner. Um, and I introduced Dwayne to uh, Rob and I introduced Chris Dwayne to my audience. I feel very much that it's my place to speak about this because, well, I'm in the middle of it. But uh, on your end, I think you're doing the best you can to, to make the best of a, a tough situation. So go ahead. 
Well, well, let me start by saying that I don't think Chris Dwayne is a bad guy. I think Chris got caught up right now in a coup. Uh, my sales director resigned <clears throat> two days before we were scheduled to relaunch. We had everything possible going our way. And all of a sudden, my sales director up and goes. And uh, <clears throat> I think he contacted Chris, poured a little bit of gasoline on Chris's frustrations regarding lead times and, and some other issues that we've been working through since day one down here. But uh, I think that uh, I think that you guys will all be surprised as to how this whole thing plays out. But uh, you know, down here at the Mint, we've come a really long way in the last 10 months. you got to remember, we only moved into this building July 1st. <clears throat> and back then we had, you know, three gigantic coin presses uh, from the Denver Mint, and uh, and that was it. And so everything we've done here has come so far in just the last 10 months. Some people come in here, they look around, and they just, they just you know, scratch their head, and they wonder how it is that we've been able to do so much in such a, a small period of time. Other people come in here. And they look around and they think we should be so much further along than we are right now. And I think that, that both of those people are right. <clears throat> the challenge we have is that we got forced into production a little bit early. And so uh, we've been splitting our time now between setup and, uh, and production, which is, which is a, a difficult balance. And it's also a dangerous balance because, you know, there's, there's a lot of things coming in and out still and a lot of people working in here. Uh, so it becomes a safety concern at the same time. So we've, we've come a long way, but, but during that process, we've let a lot of people down. Um, not only in, in just shipping subpar product, uh, you know, we knew some of the stuff that went out in the early days was, uh, was just garbage. I mean, it was all one ounce. It was all 999 fine, but it just wasn't, wasn't something we were proud of. And so we let it go out the door because we were two, two and a half, three months overdue on shipping orders out. And fortunately, a lot of those things have become like collectibles on eBay now. <laughs> from some of the early drafts and they're selling for, you know, 10, 20 times what people originally uh, paid for them, which is cool, but that wasn't really the original intent. Um, the customers have had to wait an incredible amount of time and, and some have been very patient with us and, and said things like, Hey, take all the time we want. We know what you're doing down there. Others have filed chargebacks on credit cards and that hurts. Uh, but it's just, it's just, you know, it's, we've asked for all of it. Um, and we've lost some good partners along the way. I mean, <clears throat> we've uh, we've had some people like yourself and Chris that have their reputations on the line to get in bed with us and endorse us and, and go into business with us by creating a product with us. And, you know, that means a lot to us. It means the world, really, that people are willing to have that kind of confidence and put that trust in us. And uh, and we've lost some people, uh, most notably Chris. I mean, uh, I think we did some really great things for Chris. I think he did some really great things for us. And it's truly a disappointment to uh, to have seen that relationship go the way that it did. And again, I'm not entirely sure that the final chapter in that story is written. But, uh, well, I think the bottom line, Jack, as you saw the other day when you stopped by, is that we're ready now. I mean, <clears throat> I say that, and certainly something could go wrong later today that I never planned for, never expected, never could have imagined, and uh, it'll take us back down and put us out of business completely for the next three weeks. But We've come a long way. We've got all the right equipment in here. We're making our blanks in-house now. We've got an amazing partnership. Uh, again, we really haven't fully announced the public. I think we hinted at it a little bit the other day, and, and I saw some questions about it on uh, on the comments on, on the YouTube thing about the 4.9 fine silver. Yeah, the material that comes in here, we get the assay sheets for it. We're at 99997 or better on all the material coming in because of this new partnership, and uh, it's going to open up some other doors for us. It's going to create uh, it's, it's going to give us eventually an unlimited supply of silver in here, virtually unlimited supply uh, that we can use to, uh, to put product on our shelves and to get orders out fast. And that's the position we want to be in. We want to be a, 
a huge production house that's got hundreds of thousands of ounces of silver on standby so we can take an, an order from somebody, you know, some big bullion dealer out there for 10, 50 or 100,000 ounces. So we've come a long way. I think we're ready now. We, we've learned a lot. Um, and, uh, and we're ready to move forward. Um, you know, I've been asked a lot of times about the official statement on, on the Chris Dwayne situation. And the official statement is this. You know, our official statement is our doing our job, us doing our job. We've got to fill the orders for the clients. We've done that now. Every order out the door in full. Um, we've got to, we've got to service our partnerships. Uh, you know, we've got to, uh, we've got to take care of all the things that we said that we would do originally. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. And so it's taken us a lot longer than we expected. Uh, but I really don't need to, to put an official statement out there for, for myself or anybody else here to uh, to tell the tens of thousands of customers that we've serviced over the last few months that we did our job. They already know that, uh, and that's all the statement we need. So Yeah, yeah and I, I just want to add one thing to that for people, because there's a lot of people in this audience, a lot of people in Chris's audience that don't have a business background and don't maybe understand the nature of a partnership. And I don't want to talk too much more about this because we got some cool stuff to talk about today. But I just want, there was a great analogy made by one of the commenters on my blog. A, a business partnership is like we're going to bake cakes together. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to do this so we all agree to it. And I have a lot of people that will buy cakes. I know they'll buy cakes. And I have some sugar too. So I bring sugar and people to the party. And I make a partnership with you, Robin. You go out and you buy 100 commercial-grade ovens. You put them in, you hire a staff of bakers, you hire a delivery truck driver, and we've got everything going, and the cake's in the oven, and it starts taking longer to bake the cake than, than we expected the cake to take, and the first cake comes out kind of crappy. But now all the cakes are in the oven, and I, as your partner, say, this is taking too long. I want my sugar back out of the cake. That's when one side tries to leave a partnership in the middle uh, of problems. That's exactly what's happening. I thought that was the most bringing it down to the, the, the level of the person without the business background to understand it that I've ever heard. And, and that's, that's why partnerships don't work that way. Partnerships are, we go through this thing together. Now, maybe a partnership doesn't last, but then there's a, a way that that's negotiated, and that way both partners can fulfill their obligations to everybody else that, that was brought into the process along the way. And that's why, you know, I'm sure there were times during – some of the, the problems as you guys were going through these growing pains, your staff had to be like, Jack Spirico's a dick. But, you know, I, I stood there with you guys, and, you know, we come out the other side together, and we make it right. And I, I told you last week, if there were no problems, I would have been like, what's the scam? Something's going on. I would have yeah. preferred there would have been less. But that's the job of a partner, to, to, to go through this together, to come out the other side stronger. And I think that Mulligan, Mint, and your guys are ready to roll now. And and on that note, I want to talk about what we're ready to roll out this week, actually today. Well, you stopped by the other day. You uh, shoved the camera in my face quite rudely. I almost, uh, well, never mind. <clears throat> I, uh, I, I told uh, you I was going to video you, Rob. I, I gave you a little tour of the Mint. We, we took a look at some of the equipment we have here, some things that are still in the process of being set up, and uh, we kind of ran through the whole process. Uh, eventually, you get to come back and see our Columbia 360 banging out, uh, banging out parts. <clears throat> but um, you also had an opportunity to see the first couple strikes of the, uh, the limited edition Sentinel Ant Medallion um, coming off the press. And so uh, we waited a long time to get that sculpt in here for the Sentinel. It's unbelievable i mean the mirror finish on the proof version is just so cool uh i think it's the best looking coin we've done in a long time uh, i know we've had some pretty good best sellers recently but i think this one's going to top them um and so you know one of the things that we learned from from our friend chris is that uh 
you know, there, there's a there's a huge market of collectors out there, and we we want to produce a specialty piece for that market. It's not for everybody. It's it's going to be an expensive coin, but uh, we're making a thousand of these limited edition Sentinel Ant medallions in proof version. Uh, each one of them is going to come with a certificate of authenticity that's signed by you, signed by me. It's going to come in a, a, a plastic airtight inside of a blue velvet box. Um, so we're putting a little bit of uh, extra effort into this because we know how much people like to collect these things and how these things get sold for ridiculous premiums on, on eBay in the aftermarket. Uh, one of the things that we will do this time that we didn't do on uh, on some previous projects, we, we did it wrong, <clears throat> but we're going to make sure that, that people get the certificate of authenticity in the order that the order was actually placed. So when we launch this thing, I believe, on the 8th, you know, at 12.01 a.m., if you jump online and place an order real early, uh, you'll get a real low COA. So we're only making a 1,000 of them. Unfortunately, the first 40 of those are already gone. I don't know if you know who got them, but I do. Uh, there's this guy named Jack who uh, <laughs> was has a deal with you, and, you know, sometimes silver is part of the deal, and uh, I've got 40 of them, folks, and... Um, so wait a minute. Are you willing to admit to your fans out there that you're actually earning something because of your partnership with us? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I'm this thing called a capitalist, and I, I do earn a profit here. Um, and hopefully we'll make a crap load of money on this coin. I, I have no problem with that because I think we've done something really, really cool here. Well, some, um, some of the our... Sentinel's been hot since we came up with it last year, and now we put it into a coin. And uh, your artist, you know, I, I mean... It was my design, but your artist made it into something that there's no way I, that that my team I think could have ever come up with. The way that they took that design and expanded it, and things like the um, the, the kind of it's almost like a jewel facet cutting of the feathers into the wings on the wreath are just gorgeous. Well, Heidi Waswede is is an amazing sculptress. She did you know she she takes the things that we give her and then she gives it her own flair. Um, and, and she does an incredible job. So we're, we're excited to see that come out. Uh, some of our partners, unfortunately, aren't willing to admit that they actually uh, got some sort of value because of the, re- the relationship with us, and that's okay. Um, but the bottom line is uh, we look forward to, to making you some more money with this thing here to help your efforts and your, your cause. Um, you know, we look forward to making some profit for ourselves to continue all the great things we're doing down here. Uh, at some point in the not-so-distant future, we'll do an open house uh, you know, kind of a tour to the the general uh, public that will invite in here to see what's going on, so that they too can can see firsthand. Uh, you know, it, the the excitement of the man. I mean, it's a cool thing. You're you're taking a product in in green form and you're turning it into a shiny mirror finished coin. It's it's pretty amazing, and I think everyone should have an opportunity to see this. So yeah, you know that, that rough video we shot. People were like, "That's better than most episodes of how it's made," because we showed them the end of the process, and there was. Uh, there was no special editing in that. All I did was take the three clips and shove them together on YouTube. That was real time. And I think it would be cool to have your film crew with your HD cameras and everybody mic'd up go through there yeah. and do it more like a documentary. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but, yeah, but it, you're not going to see anything different, really, except it'll be better quality than my shaky hand. And yeah. uh, maybe you'll have you know some more equipment online. That, that's about it. But yeah. So we've got the Sentinel coming out with the ants. We're doing a 1,000 of those, right? We're doing a thousand of those, and on the same day, we're also releasing the BU version of the Sentinel with the brand new uh, Shield Reverse. Um, I think we actually have made public those pictures. So if you go to tspmint.com right now, 
you'll be able to see the uh, photo reel mock-up of the uh, the official Sentinel medallion, which is also releasing on the eighth. <clears throat> so feel free to get uh, get your early uh, orders in early. We're only we're limiting the lim- limited edition coin to five per order. Uh, so unfortunately, we we know that there are going to be a lot of people out there that want to get their hands on these, and and we'd like to uh, to limit it to five per person on that or per order. Uh, I don't know if we have any mechanism in place to make it five per person, but we're definitely doing five per order on that. So well, I'd like to ask the audience to please, you know. We do a lot of stuff around here on what I call an honor system. We run contests on the honor system. We, if you guys email me and say, like, we had just a, a recent a launch with a partner that was doing a, an online course. It was a huge discount for MSB members. I had people that wanted to pay by silver, and they said, I've mailed my silver, but I'm afraid the offer will be over. And I've set your account up early and said, I just trust that you're sending the silver, so go ahead and get your discount. I would just like to personally ask that, you know, don't make our job harder with this. We say a limit of five. I mean, if, if you do the math on that, there's, there's a limited, if everybody buys five, uh, there's a limited number of people there uh, that can, you know, even own one. It would only be 200 people. If ever, and I expect that some people will buy one or two. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, let's, let's try to do this with some ethics, guys, and, you know, don't place double orders. I, I'm just going to ask you guys that flat out. <laughs> we'll keep an eye on it over here as well, Jack. Uh, but that's really it, man. We've got a lot of exciting things going on. We've got uh, a lot of announcements lined up that we haven't even released yet. Some cool things that that are really putting us on the map. It's kind of a you know a global industry player that uh, that is just you know so hard for me to even uh, imagine is real after you know doing this officially now for just a year. So we've got some cool things coming down the pike. Uh, but uh, our job right now is to do our job well uh, to ship a quality product. I mean, I showed you all the quality control stuff that we had, and we've just added that in the last four weeks now. Um, so we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go, and we're we're looking for our fans and supporters out there to uh, to give us a vote of confidence by voting with their wallet. So if you believe in us and you and you like what we're doing, you what we stand for, then then pick up a couple of the limited edition uh, uh, Sentinels or some of the BU rounds, which are a little less expensive, and uh, and give us an opportunity to show you what we really can do now that we're all fully online. I think a big thing is like so we have a limit on the 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 the, the limited edition coin of a thousand. And just to like explain that because I don't know if we did a good enough job. The first coin we came out was the Ant Shield coin, and the back of that coin had a gorgeous uh, ant on it uh, with the AOCs and uh, uh, mint marks and things like that. And that ant is actually a photograph that we we used by accident, and we ended up paying the photographer when we found out. Um, what are the uh, chances of that? How does how does that even work? We used some obscure picture. Put it on your yeah. website and get an email from some like National Geographic photographer saying, uh, "You referenced my." I mean, it's just really incredible that that information travels so quickly across the internet. That uh, well, even though he works for Nat Geo, he is not like some super you know rich photographer like Ansel Adams or something like that. This is a guy like you and me, a small business guy trying to make a living. And in the photography industry, you know, once you put information online, it can be replicated and distributed. So to protect his copyrights of his images, specifically his published images. He runs some kind of software, and he found it. And I was like, first of all, I was like, dude, you're, you're full of crap. It's a picture of an ant, yeah, you know, and we yeah. rendered it into this sculpt. And then he sent me the picture, and, like, even the antenna lined up and all. So yeah, you've got this amazing, you know, photograph that, that rendered the ant image on the rear. That was on the first coin. And we decided since we had the, the, the front of the Sentinel coin uh, die in before we got the, rever- the backside um, – we uh, we decided we'll go ahead and run a thousand with the old reverse right. and the, and or, and the new obverse and it's uh, 
it, it's 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 an amazing coin, and the, like we said, there'll only be a thousand of those. The new coin with the with the let's call it the production run uh, back. The back of that coin has a Spartan shield uh, and a Spartan sword, and those are representative, of course, uh, of the days of Sparta. And the soldier that that's dedicated duty was to defend his republic. And uh, you know everybody knows the the movie Three Hundred, and that's where those two symbols come from. Crossed then is a colonial musket, which harkens back to the original militias of of the the fledgling United States uh, before we were when we were just a colony and a group of colonies. And then crossed the other way is an AR, which is the the symbol of the modern citizen soldier, the modern. Uh, sentinel, the modern uh, citizen who stands watch over his fellow citizens. Yep. And, and those those symbols come together. To, I, I don't think anything like that's actually ever been done. Uh, I, I'm pretty proud of the collaboration we had to come up with that. And uh, then we have a, a saying across the coin, and it's if if 300 can stand, what can 55 million do? And of course, 55 million is the number of gun owners in America. And it's a pretty clear declaration that. We will not let the republic fall, and uh, that's uh, that's just something. Like again, I don't think that it's ever been quite put that way before, and I think it's something that some people will look at and they'll immediately get it, and some people will have to think about it. But once you do, it sticks with you, and, and that's what we were looking for something out of this coin to be more than just a piece of silver, to be something that um, would really mean something. And someday, honestly. And I'm not just talking financially here, but someday, finance, uh, someday in the future, this actually might mean a hell of a lot more. Yeah. And uh, it's something that you might want to have on you uh, at some time in the future for a variety of reasons. Yeah, of course. Well, we're uh, we're happy to uh, to release this one and, and continue our partnership with uh, with you and Survival Podcast. Um, we uh, you know we've got a couple of challenges we're working through over here right now. We're only accepting payment by check because we've had so much drama with PayPal and credit card processing, uh, and so that gives us the ability to fill our orders here in a 10 to 14 day period, uh, and that's what uh, our customers and your your customers should expect. So, thanks again for everything, Jack. It means the world to me that you came down here to uh, to check it out and uh, to give me your feedback. And um, you know, I'm sure the next time you come down here, three six months, it's going to be a totally different place than it is right now. Uh, onward and upward. Here we go. Yeah, one more thing I want you to talk about before I let you go there, Rob, is uh, pricing. People are like, hey, you guys jacked your pricing up. We really didn't. We just, yeah. Uh, I mean, on the on the limited edition proofs, obviously, there's a, a, a premium we place on those because that's part of a limited edition proof. But on the, the, the Brilliant Uncirculated, there's a there's a good price break for people at five coins and up, right? Yeah, you know, one of the things I got to double check is what we're actually doing for the the MSB members because uh, we increased the premium from two dollars and ninety nine cents over spot to five dollars and ninety nine cents over spot for one to four coins. So we found that mo- the average uh, or the median or mean I can't remember which one it is, but the the, the average order volume is seven to ten pieces, and so this doesn't affect most of the customers. I think like eighty percent of the people buy at least seven coins. Uh, and so for smaller orders, it's just a lot of handling that we have to do. And so we added a couple extra dollars on top of that. So if you want to get that same $2.99 premium for the standard BU medallion, grab five of them. Uh, I'll double check to make sure that that discount for the MSB members is still there. Uh, and that may even take it down to $1.99 <clears throat> for any quantity. And I'll double check that and uh, we can update later on exactly what that, that discount code does. But the discount code still does work. So if you're not a, yet an MSB member, Jump in now, get the code, and uh, save a couple bucks on some really cool silver. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're going to buy a bunch of coins like a few of you guys did, and please do that again, uh, it might pay for your membership uh, a couple times over, honestly. Uh, it's uh, it's awesome when you see somebody order that, uh, you know, huge orders like that. And um, I think this is going to be one to do that with. Again, we're going to be releasing uh, the limited edition Ant Reverse uh, along with the Sentinel on the front, and then the what we'll call it a production run, Brilliant Uncirculated with the Shield, uh, and all the symbology on the back, and in the future we'll have a special proof run of that uh, of that shield version of the coin as well. We and Rob, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, just remember on the the, the sales go live for the limited edition medallion on the eighth uh, at twelve oh one a.m. Uh, so very early in the morning on this coming Wednesday, uh, the first forty certificates of authenticity are already spoken for. But if you want to get a, a low number, uh, jump in real early, and we will honor them in the order those orders came in. Awesome, awesome. And again, limit of five on those. And Rob, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Well, it was great having Rob on the show. I hope you guys really, uh, really like the Sentinel. We put a lot of work into it, a lot of time, a lot of effort. Like I said, I'll put out some more uh, kind of teaser stuff on it today. But uh, at midnight, you will be able to buy them if you want to stay up to do it. And I, uh, I'll tell you, you're going to have no problem ordering the uh, ones with the shield and the sword and the musket, uh, the regular run of those. Uh, in quantity, but if you're going to want one of the 1,000 limited edition with the ants on it, you may want to stay up. I, I don't know that we'll sell them all out overnight, but we might. And uh, I did insist that we put a limit of five per customer. I actually thought about limiting it more than that, but I don't know if a person wants five of them and wants to spend the money on them. That's fine. Before anybody gets in the comments and I can't believe this is $20 over spot or some nonsense like that, let me just head you off right now. I don't want to hear it. This is a limited edition run of a thousand coins. If you don't want one, don't buy one. I, I, I can't be more upfront about it than that. We're telling you the cost. We're telling you why the cost is there. We're guaranteeing a limited edition run of a thousand. We're putting the coins in a capsule, in a jewel box, sending them with a foiled certificate of authenticity. Um, and guaranteeing a limited run of a thousand. That's, that's a very low run of any coin. And it, it takes a lot to do a run like that. It takes a lot to put something out like that. And if you want to buy silver in, in line with the market price and you don't want to put collector value into the equation, you know, please consider one of the other designs. Consider the brilliant uncirculated version with the sword and the shield and the musket and the AR on the back. Uh, and if you buy those in quantities of five or more, they're as competitive as anything on the market, uh, especially if you're an MSB member. So we have options for everybody. And it, it just, and I'll tell you what's rubbing me the wrong way. It's not even anything to do with silver. It's the recent release of Jeff Lawton's PDC and having people upset that it's not free. Um, I really invite you guys to look at the video I did with Rob where I went down to the mint and really look at the cost associated with creating these things. And I'll tell you flat out, I had a conversation with Rob about my piece of the business here and I asked him flat out, am I taking too much? I really did, because when I look at the cost of doing, you know, forging your own blanks and all, it, it seems insurmountable, but he assured me that we have an equitable deal, and, you know, that's where I'm coming from in this. I'm not trying to make a mint, you know, pun intended on this. I'm trying to bring you guys really special, really unique coins um, I'm trying to bring you the opportunity to have them for just a little over the spot price of silver. 
And please understand that the current price of silver is fake. It's been driven down through short selling. And if you go out and try to buy silver right now, it's hard to find it in quantity. It really is. There are a ton of items over at Atmex right now. Alert me when it's available. Alert me when it's available. Alert me when it's available. There are people in the industry right now paying $3 over spot to buy silver. And we're selling it at that price. So we're in a unique situation. Rob negotiated a deal to get silver in raw form and get it kind of as needed so that he's running silver from start to end on the same day that it comes in. And that's something that's difficult for resellers of things like eagles and, and, and rounds that are in the supply chain that to compete with because they may have bought that silver three days ago and it may have gone down since then. I just had somebody email me and go, right now you guys are selling, if you buy five or more, right? Because it's hard to fill small orders. It really is. But if you buy five or more, you guys are selling for less than, you know, your sponsor, JM Bullion. How are you doing that? And that's how. And I told the guy, honestly, it could swing the other way. It all depends on the market forces. We're trying to do business in a fair, equitable way. We're trying to do business in a way where everybody can participate from buying one you know, brilliant uncirculated coin at a little bit of a premium so we can afford to fill an order for one coin. And yes, shipping's going to be high relative to shipping one coin. We have to make sure it gets to you. Um, so we can't just throw it in an envelope and put a number, you know, a, a, a first class stamp on it. Um, but I really think that people need to think about value. And the value that's brought to the table in taking raw silver and turning it into a coin or from the PDC standpoint of putting together a 72-hour interactive online course and, and, and folks that don't see value in things, don't buy them. Uh, spend your money on things you do see value in. I have never been the guy that gets up here and says, well, I'm selling silver now, so go all in on silver. I think that's terrible advice. I really do. I always did. I've always said 5 to 10% and buy a variety. So I'm not even saying to get all silver from our mint now. I'm saying buy what you want and buy a variety so that in different situations you have different options. We try to run things with integrity around here. I know I'm not going to make everybody happy, but I'm not trying to make everybody happy. I'm trying to do the best damn job I can. And those people that think I'm doing a good job... They'll participate at whatever level they feel, and I am grateful to every single person that participates, whether you buy anything or not. If you just listen to this show every day and share it to people, I'm beyond grateful. So, so please understand that, and understand nobody's ripping you off, nobody's taking advantage of you. We could not be more transparent in the pricing model of what we're doing if we tried. There is no way. We have it right on there, minting premium, 20 bucks, and here's why. And if that works, it works. And if it doesn't, I'm sorry. And again, please understand on the on the brilliant uncirculated stuff, the non-proofs, there's the regular production runs. The price that you see is for one. There's a big price point at break at five. I'm going to talk to the men about making a little bit more clear about that on the website because I think that causes some confusion. With that, let's go ahead and get into uh, your your first uh, email to me today. Remember to be on a show like this, send me an email with uh, question for Jack or comment for Jack or subject for Jack or video for Jack or article for Jack. You get the formula, one word followed by for Jack, and I'll know it's, uh, it's, it's to be screened for this show. Hundreds of emails like this a day come in. It's really not exaggeration, guys. I, go, I bet you don't. I'm like, come answer my email for me. Seriously, why would, you know... Whatever. Um, I can't get them all on the air. I try to get a bunch of them on the air every week, though. Let's see where we're going first today. 
Okay, so this wasn't planned. This came in this morning from Deborah, who I know from uh, from Free State Project, honestly. And uh, <laughs> if you want a reason to at least keep five to ten percent of your wealth in hard assets like uh, assets like silver and gold, I really couldn't make up something like this if I tried. I I really um, I see a lot of things coming. Um, I see a lot of shenanigans, and I kind of am pretty good at predicting what these clowns in in charge of our economy uh, are going to do. And this one came right out of left field for me. I have no idea, just no idea that they would do something like this. So in the past, I talked about how they uh, kind of fudged the GDP number. The GDP is like our, our financial report card. What was the total domestic product what did we produce and and how much the federal reserve makes up of the gdp today is just ridiculous and it shows our our gross domestic product is actually down by about 11% if you take the the portion of the federal reserve that was added to it just because of its activity going up uh in the past few years but they show small amounts of growth in it because they don't tell you that it but that's that is activity that is i mean they're actually doing this it, it it's it they are producing the money they are pumping it into the economy it does devalue the rest of them, but it's it's in some ways that's real we just don't know how big a portion it's become is is the problem for the average but okay that's fine then i told you about a week ago how they've really gotten to some GDP voodoo. And, and th this number is important even if you don't pay attention to it because financial analysts pay attention to it, financial liars, some people call them advisors, pay attention to it, uh, stock portfolio managers, you know, fund managers, uh, economic forecasters, policy makers, all look at GDP as an incredibly important number. So what they did and came out about a week ago was that they said, well, we're going to add some things to GDP that weren't there before, like certain components of the technology and entertainment sector that were not previously calculated. This is not that wrong in of itself, okay, because those are legitimate places that financial transactions are going on and money's being spent and probably should have been there all along, but they weren't. The problem was that they said, well, look, the GDP went up 3%. Well, it just so happened that all the additions made up the 3%, so the GDP was flat, even with all the stuff coming from the Fed. But that's self-correcting. And the reason I'll tell you it's self-correcting is, okay, you've done that now. So next year's number is going to compare to this year's number. So you, you, you can only pull that game one time. To see the real GDP with this addition, you'd have to go back and retroactively say, if these sectors were calculated in 2012, 2011, 2010, what does the GDP really look like? And we can work that out. And that's not that big of a fudge factor because, again, even though it is bullshit, you can only do it once. Okay, You can only do that one time. This is what they've come up with now. I first have to explain to you where part of the GDP comes from. Let's say you work for an employer, uh, an employer that still has a pension. Most of those now are governments. And I don't mean a 401k, but a 401k could be this, but it would be much harder to do this in a true 401. But let's say that that employer puts away as part of your pension, whether you contribute to it or not, They also put in 3% of your, your salary every pay cycle into your pension, okay? Now, 
Here's the thing, especially governments like state, county, federal governments don't necessarily actually put that money in there. It's kind of like a reversal security thing, you know, where they put an IOU and take the money. Well, they never put the money and just put an IOU. So previously, if your employer said they were putting 3% into your pension fund and they actually they dedicated, they took the money and they stuck it in there, it was considered part of your wage. Whether taxable or not doesn't matter. They've paid it to you. Whether you can take it or not doesn't matter. They've paid it to you. It's a real transaction. Real money went into a real account that's being held custodially for you for your retirement. Okay, That should be part of the GDP. That's always been part of the GDP. Yeah, but see like towns, cities, counties and stuff like that. They're like, we don't have the money today, but we have the power of taxation. So we're promising the money in the future. You see where this, it, most of you now have made the leap and you know where this is going even if you haven't seen the article already. This is, this is beyond asinine to, to fudge with the GDP number, which is again one of the most critical economic indicators of the health of, of our economy or any economy is their GDP. Okay, so. Let's say you work for the city of Sheboyganville and the city of Sheboyganville puts into your account this year $5,000, okay, in your retirement. You don't get it now, but it's there. That would normally go in the GDP. But let's say Sheboyganville doesn't have $5,000. What they do is they say, well, we're promising you that $5,000 for your retirement. And we'll tax it, bond it, do something with it in 25 years when you need it. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. That now goes in the GDP. Not the money they've actually put in the account, the money that they've promised to put into the account 25 years from now to fund your retirement goes into the GDP today. Yeah, let me read it to you. The latest contribution to the U.S. GDP promises. No, really, this is on zero hedge. Sadly, we're not making this up. As part of the BEA's latest revision to the way it calculates GDP, the government will no longer count the amount of pension funding that is actually allocated to retirement accounts, counted as wages in the GDP calculation, i.e. the actual cash outlay. Instead, what the Bureau of Economic Analysis will count are corporate promises of how much companies will, may, might pay eventually. The bigger the lie and the promise, the higher the GDP. And presto, Elliot's management, Elliot Management's Paul Singer explains this pathetic adjustment as follows. We have commented in the past on government statistical fakery and fudges in the inflation numbers, employment, and long-term budgeting. But recent changes to the national GDP accounts by the Bureau of Economic Analysis may take the cake. As part of the revisions, they change the way pension payments are counting in GDP. Previous to the change... When the company paid money into the pension plan, the money was counted as wages in the GDP calculation. After the change, what companies have promised to pay in the future, not what they are actually paying, will be added to GDP. This is fantastic. The bigger the unpayable promise made to unsuspecting retirees, promises that are not fully funded, the more GDP supposedly goes up. Said otherwise, if companies promise infinity, GDP will grow by a comparable amount, at least in a thought experiment, right? What else is there to say? I know some of you didn't really take it in, so let me put it in another way. See, we have this giant number that, that people talk about called the national debt, $16.7 or whatever it is today. And um, 
people look at that. Actually, it's $16.839 trillion today, so it'll be $17 trillion soon, just like I said it would. And uh, it'll be $20 trillion before you know it. And everybody focuses on that. But the scarier number that's out there is what's called unfunded liabilities. And you can go to usdebtclock.org and look at these numbers running all day long and see what's going on with the underlying numbers in the economy. Well, the unfunded liabilities are $123 trillion. This is money we've committed to pay people in Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Okay? That's the mo- we've committed to paying it. But we don't have it. We don't know where it's going to come from. We're not sure. That's what runs the economy off the rails in the end. Eventually, we're unable to pay the money that we've already committed to pay. Okay? I think most people get that problem. And that number grows by much more every year than the debt. Because the debt only grows by the, the debt we've incurred today. The unfunded liabilities go by the checks Congress writes today, but won't be cashed until tomorrow or 20 years from now. And Congress likes to write checks that aren't going to cash for 20 years, because they're already retired and gone by the time the bill comes due, and somebody else is left on the hook to pay the tab. All right, So that's, that's partly why that number goes up so much faster. Companies and state governments and city governments and county governments do the same thing with worker retirement. They commit to paying the fund when the worker retires and funding the retirement, but they bank on future earnings or future debt to cover the the differential. In other words, why do I have to worry about paying this guy in 25 years when I'm currently paying him a wage right now? He's working for me right now. He's only going to you know, get the money if he stays for his full vesting period. And I'm making money off him that I'm using to grow the company to pay him with in the future. So maybe I don't need to fully fund his retirement for 25 years in the future today. Okay, which you can argue whether or not that's valid. But what they're saying now is the money I've promised in the future goes down as being spent today, even though it wasn't spent and contributes to the total production in the country. So what would be wrong with then saying, why don't we do that at the federal level? If unfunded liabilities (laughs) go, if Congress promises $2.5 trillion of additional spending this year, then why not just put that in the GDP today? And you say, that's crazy talk. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just a whole bunch of people doing it instead of just the federal government doing it. So what that would mean is if Congress decided that, you know what, we're going to increase Social Security benefits in the year 2025, and the total cost to increase that's going to be a trillion dollars, we just put a trillion dollars down as as being in the economy today, even though it's not actually going to go into the economy until 2025, and even though we don't know if or where the money is coming from. That's what they've just done. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking it's a good idea to insure your wealth with some hard assets. I really am. Not saying you should buy my silver, but geez, buy some from somewhere, please. Uh, and don't think this is going to happen tomorrow. I'm telling you, this is this false recovery, this this five to ten year explosion of happy days are here again, the band playing, and everybody going back to stupidity and setting themselves up for the biggest financial catastrophe in the history of the world. It's the good, you know, fake expansion is coming first. This will be part of it. You're going to hear in a few months, instead of what I just told you, economists singing the praises of the resilience of the American economy. And they're going to point 
to this number, which has been fudged in multiple ways, one I've just explained to you in detail is to proof that it's really back. Please protect yourself, folks. This is the financial chicanery. I'll put a link to the Zero Hedge article for you. But this is what's really going on behind the scenes. Hopefully, I've made it clear. How about some fun facts on Illinois? Um, this was sent to me by Kareem. I don't see a link. So I'm just going to have to read the email to, me, to you. It's, um, it's put together. It's just an email. It says Illinois Fun Facts. Let's read a couple of them to you. Two out of three births in Illinois are paid for through Medicaid. State income tax was hiked 66% in 2012. Corporate income tax was hiked 45% in 2012. Has the fifth highest wireless taxes, 15.85% as of January 2013, according to the Tax Foundation. Chicago has the highest sales tax of major metropolitan cities at 9.75%. That's city and county taxes only. That's not the state sales tax that's also added into that. Uh, Illinois is ranked in the top seven for the highest property tax rates among the 50 states. Has the 10th highest worker comp premium rate in the 50 states. That means it's very expensive to do business there if you have employees. That's what that means. Highway tolls recently doubled. Ranked 49th by 24-7 Wall Street on the best-run state governments. So on the list of the best state governments, they came in 49th. <laughs> I bet New York or California came in 50. I, I don't Ranked first on the worst 2011 budget deficits. Has the fifth highest state debt, $271 billion among the 50 states. Illinois state pension liability, that's that unfunded liabilities I just talked about, $96 billion. Oh, there, isn't that great? Isn't the great that the way that dovetails? Now, when that number goes up, the unfunded liabilities that the state of Illinois has to pay its workers... The, the 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 billions that are added to it will go into our GB, GDP as though they're actual earnings and payments occurring in the U.S. economy. How how cool is that? There there's a perfect example of how that number gets fudged. And if this had been going on, it would have been fudged at this point to the tune of 96 billion dollars. This is how you turn a problem into a solution in the government's view. You take money they can't pay and turn it into money that supposedly was spent. Pew Center ranks Illinois as having the lowest pension funding levels among states, ninth highest on unemployment rate uh, at 9.1%, first highest on foreclosure rate, according to Realty Track, seventh on largest decline in home value from 2006 through 2011. Home value is down by 29%. Since 1976, Chicago has the most public corrupt convictions of any city in the U.S. <laughs> Since 1976. Public corrupt con corruption conviction. So this is people that work for the government that got convicted, not accused, convicted, 1,531. Uh, since 1976, Illinois has the third most public corruption convictions in the U.S. Uh, at 1,828. This is what's interesting. So Chicago has more than any other city at 1,500. Illinois is the third most for any state at 1,800, which means 15 of 1,800 of the corruption convictions occurred in Chicago. How corrupt is that city? Seriously. Taxes on gasoline are the highest in the nation in the Chicago metro area. Taxes on cigarettes, highest in, second highest in the nation. Ranked second for the worst traffic congestion. Commute times work average 31 minutes, eighth worst in the U.S., Metra fare hike by 25%, largest increase for Metra. 
Uh, Metro Link Up Pass raised 14% by the city of Chicago. A traveler to downtown Chicago will pay about $40.31 in taxes, which is the highest in the nation. So whether you're visiting or living there, they're going to get you. That's what that means. Um, www.walkingtofreedom.com. Dot com. By the way, please vote. We're down to less than a month in the voting. I think May 27th, the voting on the naughty list closes. That's when that form is really going to ramp up. If you have not gone to walkingtofreedom.com yet, registered and voted in the naughty list, please do so because when the voting closes, we're not going to discuss, you know, who should have and who shouldn't have till next year. The voting closes, it's over. You don't get the bitch unless you voted, and so that means get over there and vote now. But I can tell you, Illinois is going to make the list, and boy, they made a lot of lists here, didn't they? This is what's going on, and people are saying vote with your feet. Senators are saying this now. State senators, uh, we just had a guy on, state senator from Illinois left, came to Texas. Gene Piercy, Evil Roy from the uh, Single Action Shooters Hall of Fame, owner of two businesses, leaving Colorado, coming to Texas. Um, not everybody that's leaving is going to Texas, but this is one good place to be. Get over to walkingtofreedom.com. If you live in a state like New Jersey or Illinois or New York or California, let these idiots burn it to the ground. You think you're going to stay there and fight? You're not. The way you, the, this is the last act of rebellion in a republic before it comes to violence is freedom of movement and demonstrating through an in, uh, an action that cannot be questioned. When a, when a person, a citizen picks up and leaves, that is a much clearer statement than where they tick a box on voting day. Much clearer because it's immediately, immediately costs that state, that city, that county money. The second you leave, they lose. That gets their attention. And if you want to know how real that is, start looking at how tough attendance policies have gotten in public schools. The quality of the education has gone down, but boy, they're going to make sure that kid's butt is in the seat, whether he gets an education or not. Why? Because if that kid's not there enough days the school loses some of the provided funding. When you leave and you move your kids out of a school district, they can have any attendance policy they want. And guess what? They don't get that money. Why do you think they're so opposed to uh, home education? That's why. That's the real reason. It's all about the money. Doesn't matter they're not responsible for the student anymore. Doesn't matter the state still gets the same amount of money and can distribute it elsewhere. They're mad that they lost that one student and they don't get that 12, 15 grand or more in some states per student per school. That's what your kid represents to those people, folks. 12,000, 13, 14,000 dollars as long as that ass is in that seat for enough days a year, including when they're in, they spend just as much per kindergartner as they do per 12th grader. That's what it's all about. And in states like Illinois, it's what it's really all about. Leave www.walkingtofreedom.com. Okay, another thing that I've, I've been trying to really get people's attention on is that in, in the near future, in spite of this economic boom the United States will see and how much energy we're going to produce and how much energy we're going to sell to the BRIC nations, that the BRIC nations are the economic future of the world, that our role will go into second fiddle at some point, and that Brazil, Russia, India, and China and now South Africa sees itself as the gateway to Africa for these nations. And I've been saying this since 2008. The new frontier 
is Africa. Europe used North and South America and parts of Africa in the colonial days to develop their economies. The U.S. turned around and used some of Latin America, but mostly the East. Okay, Japan, the Philippines, Korea. Why do you think we were in that war? Okay, to use as cheap labor and exploitation to develop our economy so that we could do things here domestically that we could do best and we could outsource things and we could gain resources and we could bring in cheap materials and then put them into American systems. That There's a history that advanced societies generally use less advanced societies through some form of colonization. And it's not always direct. You know, there was the direct model, and then the U.S. practiced a very indirect model where we were a lot more hands-off. And it wasn't necessarily, I'm not saying it's always exploitive. It's, it's not. It's not, it wasn't necessarily bad for Japan, now was it? I mean, they've become a pretty modern, amazing nation. And if you look at the difference between South Korea, where we were able to have them play ball with us, and North Korea, and what it's meant for them, it's been good for South Korea. I don't think many people in South Korea, if you said, who'd like to trade places with one of your Northern Korean brothers, would be raising their hands. But I think the other way around, there'd be a shit ton of people that wanted to get the hell out of North Korea to go to South Korea. I really do. So I'm not saying it's all bad. Don't see this as like America bashing. It's just the pattern that if you want to really develop a society in a global marketplace, then you do it in partnership with other societies that you can develop along the way, and both sides actually have a lot to gain. And that the, the last frontier in that market is Africa. And Africa, even though it was part of the colonial times, a lot of it has been neglected in this. And it's very rich in natural resources. And that, you know, that these nations would stake a claim there. And China's been all over it. China and, and India have both been all over it. Uh, Russia, a little bit. Brazil has staked its claim. Let me read this. Christian Science Monitor reporting this. Another brick in the wall, Brazil stakes its claim in Africa. Brazil is negotiating an agreement with Mozambique to finance the construction of a dam to provide drinking water to the city of Maputo. Okay, do you think the Brazilians are like, you know what we need to do? We're doing so well that we need to make sure that the people of Maputo have water. We're doing this for philanthropic reasons. Do you think that's what it is, or you think this is economic development on a global scale? I'm not saying it's predatory. I'm just saying I'm thinking it's the second one. You know, you don't go building a dam to provide drinking water in a nation like Mozambique as an, as another nation just because you're nice guys. I'm sure the Brazilians are great people, but I doubt that's why they're doing it. Okay, back to it. In the city of Malputo, according to local news sources, it's expected to cost $500 million, and the Bank of the Brazil has funded an environmental impact study for the project. So $500 million in the kitty, plus more money to make sure they do this without harming the environment. With a population approaching $2 million and growing rapidly, Malputo uh, needs an assured water supply. A successful agreement between Brazil and Mozambique means that construction on the dam could start in early 2014. I'm betting you this thing's going to produce power, too. You think there's going to be some hydro in this? Would you really build a dam in a place like that without producing energy today? <laughs> Just saying. The dam, known as Muammar Major, highlights Brazil's expanded engagement in Africa. In 2012, British think tank Chapman House published a highly useful briefing paper on Brazil's growing role in the continent. It highlights Brazil's African economic investments 
<coughs> Notably, its trade with Africa has increased from $4.2 billion to $27.6 billion over the past decade. That's real money, folks. That's not our fake money. Uh, Africa is potentially an important export market for Brazilian manufactured goods. So here's what you do. You want to develop more of an export economy. You go develop a nation with friendly relationships. You help them get on solid ground. You loan the money, and then they use it to buy from you. Sound familiar? China, U.S.? Hmm. And a reverse role, though, right? But as Chapman House Briefer highlights, Brazil sees African engagement as more than economic. It is key to Brazil's reconstruction as a major world power. And a close south and close south-south relations focused on Africa could help build international support for permanent UN Security Council seat for Brazil. See, Brazil wants on the UN Security Council. Those are the guys that make all the rules at the global level. And they want a seat at the table. Brazil seeks a partnership for development with an important political dimension rather than solely an economic relationship. Brazil is one of the BRICS countries joining Russia, India, China, and South Africa in the club of major emerging economies. But Brazil's expanding role in Africa is overshadowed in the international media by China and India's larger role. So too is the role of South Africa. But Brazil's approach to Africa appears to be more broadly based with important political and development aspects, as well as economic. And there are important cultural ties between Brazil and the Lusphone, Afri and the Lusphone Africa states such as Angola and Mozambique. Brazil also has the largest diasporous population of the African origin. Thus far, the Brazilians appear to have avoided cultural and other mistakes of the Chinese. The Brazilian relationship with Africa may prove deeper and longer lasting than that of its higher profile rivals among the BRICS. So basically what you're hearing here is not only is Brazil going in and staking a claim in Africa, they're being very, very um, politically correct, I guess, or culturally correct, and they're doing a very good job of it. And you're going to see the Brazilian economy becoming more and more resilient as they diversify their international commerce as part of this block of nations, the BRIC nations, which when I started reporting on this, by the way, When I started reporting on this in 2008, do you know how many people came on my blogging? If you go back and look, you, you see comments on it. There is no such thing as a brick alliance. It's not real. The media made it up. Gee, it's almost like, you know, if you stop listening to the media and start looking at the facts on the ground, you get the whole picture a little bit faster than everybody else. It only took everybody else three years to figure this out. Uh, you know, now we're five years from that point, and people that really have got figured out. But yeah, five years ago, this doesn't even exist. There's no such thing. Yeah, okay. Um, this does matter to you. I know it doesn't affect the temperature of the water in your swimming pool right now today, but the emergence of a major block of nations seeking greater economic and political control in the world Uh, when you are the number one person at the time and they're growing and you're in decline and you're lying about your growth by fudging numbers, yeah, it matters to your future. Shifts happen. Be on the right side of this one, folks. Be prepared for it because, yeah, it's coming. Okay, this one comes from Darby Simpson, and he, he asks an interesting question uh, with it. South Carolina House approves a bill outlawing and criminalizing the implementation of Obamacare. Now, I want to read that again so you really get it. South Carolina House approves a bill outlawing and criminalizing the implementation of Obamacare. I don't know if the Senate did this yet there or not, um, but I know the governor is on record saying that she will not let this happen, and so I would think she would sign the bill. Um, 
So the Supreme Court has decreed that this law is just. Okay, so the Supreme Court came out and said Obamacare stands. Uh, and a year after the fact, a state may pass a law that says, piss off, we will not comply. What rational course of action is left between a sovereign state and a federal government, but that of secession at this point? This is Darby's email, not the article. I know you've touched on this issue in the past, but I don't mind telling you I would love an entire show on it. If a state did press on at, to that end, what option does the Fed have? Are they going to roll tanks in and take over a la A. Blinken? Curious to get your thoughts on it. To me, the way our system of government was set up, a state could enter and subsequently leave the union as its people saw fit. I know the flies in the face of today's thinking on the matter. And this is on the uh, on CBSLocalCharlotte.com. And uh, let me read to you the uh, the article here. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. The South Carolina House approved a bill Wednesday criminalizing the implementation of President Obama's health care law in the state. Republican-controlled House voted 65-39 on the Freedom of Health Care Protection Act. The act renders null and void certain unconstitutional laws enacted by the Congress of the United States taking control over the health insurance industry and mandating that individuals purchase health insurance under threat of penalty. This kind of victory occurs when grassroots across the state come together and coalesce. Chris Lawton, spokesman for the Greenville Tea Party, told the Greenville Post, I could not be prouder. The bill declares Obamacare unconstitutional despite a Supreme Court ruling last year that the Affordable Health Care Act was constitutional. And there will be criminal penalties for anybody enforcing the law. Governor Nikki Haley earlier this year said the state will not implement the nation's health care law. Quote, Connecticut expanded early under Obamacare and just reported a $190 million Medicaid deficit in spite of subjecting their citizens to a massive tax increase. Gee, should Connecticut be on the lottie list, huh? Haley said during the State of the State Address, California just raised taxes in part to cover their Medicaid deficit and yet needs $350 million more to pay for Obamacare next year. That's not us. That's not South Carolina. That's... Making South Carolina seem pretty smart to me. On Thursday, the Senate Finance Committee refused to expand Medicare eligibility to more poor adults as part of the state budget. In a 13-10 vote, defeated Democrats attempted to insert expansion into the Senate's budget proposal for 2013-2014. The committee is crafting its spending plan this week. The proposal came a day after Democrats grilled Medicaid Director Tony Neck uh, Keck on his reasons for opposing the expansion under the federal health care overhaul, but senators didn't debate each other on Thursday. Senate Minority Leader Nikki Seltzer said protracted debate was unnecessary since the senators knew their positions. In other words, we already knew we were going to lose, so we didn't bother. Haley, along with the House Republican, along with House Republican, also opposed extending government health care uh, programs to hundreds of thousands of additional poor adults. It's always poor, right? The House budget plan includes money for Crex initiative aimed at improving health. Okay, so basically South Carolina said, hell no, we won't do it. Now, let's look at this from a purely legalistic standpoint. You now have a Supreme Court decision stating that the affordable health care law is valid in conflict with the state saying, no, it's not. By the Constitution, the federal government has supremacy here because the, 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 the Supreme Court has ruled so. So from a cut and dry legal standpoint, South Carolina doesn't have a legal leg to stand on. But that doesn't necessarily mean it works out that way now, does it? Because the federal government's telling the state to do this. And the state's saying no. 
Not only won't we do it, anybody that tries to do it here will arrest. Well, state is not a taxpayer like an individual, right? If, if you don't do what the federal government says, they'll send guys and they'll come get you and they'll do it in a heartbeat. It's not that easy with an entire state. Yeah, Darby's right. What are they going to do? Send in the tanks? You know, the fed, if the state government says, we're just not going to do this. Okay? We're not doing it. And we're not going to let you do it either. And we'll use, you know, South Carolina has a pretty good apparatus of force of its own. And they're saying, we'll stand for, this is what I was talking about over two years ago when I said the words that I said with, if I wanted to save America, that it's time for the people of this nation to start at the city and the county level and use that to turn the apparatus of the state government back onto the federal government. This is it. This is how I save America right here. By letting people speak for themselves. South Carolina is saying, we don't want this. You can say that we have to do it, but we're not going to do it. You're not going to make us do it. And you're not going to do it to our citizens. Now, what does the federal government have at its disposal? Number one, money that it gives South Carolina. So it's very possible that the federal government will now turn around and say, yeah, you know those, uh, those funds that we were going to provide you to do some other things with? Yeah, we're not going to give you those. Because the first thing they're going to do is say, well, you're not getting the additional funding that we were going to provide to do the expansion. And South Carolina is going to probably say, well, since it's not enough to do the expansion, we're just not going to do the expansion, and you can shove that up your ass. And the federal government's back to, well, what do we do now? That's going to be the whip. Oh, you know that uh, $40 billion highway grant? Yeah, you're not getting it. Will, you, will they stand when that happens? Will they stand? And will they take other means? And will South Carolina go, well, well, that's fine. Okay. You know, the money that you are requiring our citizens to pay you, maybe we'll take their money and put it in escrow and just let them pay their federal income taxes to the state of North Carolina. And we'll just give you what we think you deserve at the other end of it and stand as a shield to our citizens. Where will it go from there? There's a million permutations. A state doesn't have to just do what the federal government says. Can it turn into a civil war? It did before. Things are a little bit more difficult to do that with now. Does any president want to be the president that sends M1s down the streets of Columbia? Or Austin? Or Tallahassee? Or any other place where people are going to say, you know what? No. We've had enough. You're not dragging us into the hole with you. And I don't think so. And I think that when South Carolina does this, a lot of other states start going, maybe we need to do that too. And the more that do it, the quicker, the better. Because it's one thing when the federal government starts pressing South Carolina. But when they have to press South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, Arizona, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. I mean, I can just keep going, right? I can tell you that there's a lot of states that are saying the same thing. We're not doing this. Well, what if they all stand up collectively and say, not only are we not doing this, you're not doing it either. And we're not going to let you do it. And we're going to put some systems in place to shield our citizens from you. And if you want to sit down and talk about it, maybe we can negotiate something. 
Interesting. Kudos to South Carolina. And I'll tell you what. Kudos to Governor Nikki Haley. I like when I can finally say something nice about a politician. Well, I'll tell you what, South Carolinians. I think you got a hell of a governor there. I think you've got a hell of a house. And it uh, sounds like your Senate's standing ground, too. Don't let, that, don't let that change. Don't let that change. I don't give a damn who's voting for what at the federal level anymore. That clown house has sailed long ago. We're going to have to hold it at the state level. Those midterms, that's when states can get swung if you get you know quiet and go to sleep. All of you folks out there, it's time to put more and more strength into having regular people running your state government that are willing to look out for the people of their state. Because the states have to do it now. Kudos to South Carolina for getting it done, at least on this issue. Now, will you stand? Will you stand? If you will, the rest of us will stand with you. Stay the leader, and many of us maybe will even follow you and then stand along your side. I'd like to see this done in Texas and many other states. And you can debate whether you think Obamacare is a good thing or not. This is a republic, folks. It is not the federal government's place to dictate how business will be done by the state of Texas inside the state of Texas. That's what this is really all about. And it does set up an interesting return to the Supreme Court with interstate commerce. The federal government has blocked the ability of insurance companies to do business across state lines. That's artificially increased the cost of health insurance. And in doing so, they've confined health insurance to the state that the, the, that the office is doing business in. We know the Supreme Court has ruled in some kind of messed up ways about in-state commerce before. Doesn't mean it will all, you know, definitely do it the same way again, and it does open up a new challenge even on the legal front. But I don't think the legal front's as important as the state just simply saying, nope, not doing it. Not only are we not doing it, you're not doing it. We're not going to let you do it. If you try to do it, we're going to throw your ass in a South Carolina jail. I want to see that. I want to see more of the initiatives under the Second Amendment done the same way. States stand up. South Carolina, again, you get my salute of the week. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up with a pretty uh, intense story here. It comes from uh, Matt. This came in last month, but I've held on to it because I wanted to uh, pick a time to share it. I think this is a good time to do so. Jack, I just had a very intense experience stopping an attack tonight and would like to share what I learned. Sorry for the long read. Just before 3 a.m., my wife woke me from a deep sleep. She was frantically looking out the window and telling me there was a girl screaming for help. With a foggy mind, I quickly dressed, grabbed my phone, and went racing out the back door toward the screaming. As I'm cutting through the backyard, I encountered a neighbor who turned out to also be responding to the noise. He was clearly intoxicated. We jogged toward the screaming. I was ahead of my neighbor. On the side of the house, there was a man pinning a woman down to the ground, and they were struggling. I yelled for them to, him to stop. He looked up, got to his feet, and started coming toward me. He realized there were two of us, turned to take off the other way. I ran after him maybe 50 yards before I lost sight of him. It was obviously dark, but there was fresh snow on the ground. We found tracks and decided to head back to the woman and call the police. The woman was shaken up, but physically fine, also clearly intoxicated. She explained the attacker was an ex-boyfriend who surprised her as she went to let her dog out. He had pinned her to the ground and was trying to drag her inside. He's on parole, and the responding officer was very familiar with him. While I'm glad I helped stop an attack, I was extremely lucky in many regards. First and foremost, I should have instructed my wife to lock the doors behind me, gather the kids in a locked room, and call the police. Luckily, she did lock the doors, but that was it. Secondly, I should have grabbed my gun and a flashlight. Third, 
I never should have chased the man. He could have been armed or with friends, given his parole status. I'm sure he didn't want to go back to prison. Way worse than I wanted to be a hero. Had the neighbor not been there, I'm not sure what would have happened. I am a very well-trained shooter, but that doesn't do any good when you don't have a gun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not wishing I would have had to shoot someone. Quite the opposite, actually. But it's better to have something you don't need than to need something you don't have. I was very, I wasn't very prepared for a situation like this. That changes now. I'm talking with my wife first thing in the morning to establish an emergency plan. I'll pick up a flashlight to live next to my nightstand gun. As odd as it may sound, I'm also renewing my NRA membership and joining a defensive shooter organization, which offers legal support in the case of shooting. If something had happened, even if it were justified, a legal battle would have easily ruined me financially if I didn't have any support. What I did right, well, I had enough in me to try and help. Also, I knew my neighbors enough to recognize the one trying to help. I thought enough to grab my phone and make sure to ask the girl if the guy had any weapons. Anyway, maybe you can share my mistakes and help listeners from making the same ones. Stay safe, Matt. Well, number one, thank you for doing what you did. Because um, I'll tell you what. The scenario you described of him trying to drag her into the home when she's trying to get away is a very dangerous one. Um, a lot of people would think, well, maybe he was going to rape her. Well, it could be worse than that. He could have killed her. There's something that happens in the mind of an attacker when they've, they've taken this action and the victim attempts escape. They go into a panic mode sometimes and they all of a sudden they feel trapped and they kill to avoid being arrested for basically kidnapping, assault, what have you. They freak out when they finally realize, they, you know, they, they, they don't really think about it. They just go, I'm going to grab her and I'm going to do whatever and I'm going to, you know, she's going to come back to me or whatever's in this guy's mind. But then when she tries to escape, and I'm not saying she shouldn't try to escape, claw eyes, ladies, claw eyes, kick balls, seriously, grab, twist, scratch, whatever. Fight like your life depends on it because it probably does. But when that happens, sometimes that attacker goes into this weird, Mode. This is a psychological state, and they'll kill to prevent being caught. When you, when, when, when Matt saw this guy, and then he saw another guy saw him. At that point, that is not an option anymore because now people know you're not going to hide the body or something like that. And he kind of pulls you out of. It's probably why the guy ran away. Matt running after the guy, not a good idea. Armed or not, you don't run after the guy. Uh, if you ran after the guy, then he turned on you when you shot him. Um, in the wrong place, in the wrong time, with the wrong prosecutor, that's why, why'd you do that? The threat to her was, you should have been seeing to her safety, guarding her. You shouldn't have been, you're not a police officer. It's not your job to go chasing somebody. So yeah, that's, that's a mistake. Um, but it's, it's understandable and it's noble. And it's, it's what, it's morally what we should do, but legally, it's a mistake. Uh, and it's also tactically a mistake because you don't know. The same reason I tell you in a, in a fight, never go to the ground unless you're taken there and you have no choice because it's, that's the point where the guy's buddy walks over and puts a knife in your kidney with, with no effort. Just, there it is. It's done. Right? That's, that's how that works. Or his, his other buddy just walks over with a big set of steel-toed boots and pump and your brain's on the floor. That's why you don't go to the ground, you grapplers. I swear to God. I mean, I understand the, the validity of the training and all, but if you end up in a street fight and you take it to the ground on purpose, you're setting yourself up to be dead, flat out, end of story. So when you chase somebody into the darkness, you're setting that same tactical situation up. You have no idea if three of his, his prison buddies are out there in the dark waiting for you. Maybe they were going to 
go and gang rape this girl. It's not like it doesn't happen. I know it's hard to accept that, but this is some of the, the threats that are really out there to people. Uh, and there's the kind of people that are out there that'll do it. It's part of why we're well prepared, because if society falls apart, these people come to the surface fast. Um, another thing I'd say about it, had Matt carried his gun with him, let's say that guy turned on him. And let's say that guy was a badass, a big, tough badass. And he looked at him and this drunk neighbor and said, I can still beat the shit out of these two guys. I bet you, I bet you when he had a .45 leveled at his beak, his attitude might have changed. And if it didn't, it's called double tap. I, I mean, it's dirt nap society time. Especially at that distance. You know, if you're up close to somebody that's skilled hand to hand, you try to draw a weapon, they can often disarm you. It's often not very effective. But coming upon somebody inside of a house at a distance, holding someone to the ground, and you have time to draw down and say, knock it the hell off. You know, unless you're you know, super duper special forces and you're probably not doing that crap if you are, and you still might be dead. You're still probably dead if you try anything other than retreat at that point. And you know what? They might have caught the guy. Because if a cop points a gun at somebody and says, don't run away, a lot of times they'll run away because they know cops have certain rules of engagement. You have an armed citizen leveled at you. You know he's not supposed to shoot you, but he just might. So maybe you better lay your ass in the snow, put your hands behind your back. You tell the lady, get away. You just, I would never approach that guy either. I'm cold. Well, you stay there and be cold. You get up, I'm going to shoot you dead. Now, the guy gets up and runs away. I'm not going to shoot him dead. Gets up and comes after me. He's dead. He doesn't know that, and I'd love for him to be there when the police arrived. As soon as I see the police arrive, I'm holstering, hands up, there's your guy. Right? So, the gun necessarily may not have been necessary, okay, to, to subdue the attacker. Now, I would also say this is a time for a less than lethal option. What have you gotten out there, right? And this guy is like some five foot four inch shrimp little guy that you could throttle, but you don't really know if he's got a knife on him or something, and you don't really have fear of your life, and he won't back down, and he starts getting in your face. Do you really want to shoot him if you don't feel that you have to? You know what? Face full of freaking uh, Inferno from Cold Steel, he gets a little bit more compliant pretty quick, right? Or at least he withdraws. Because it's not up to us to make arrests as citizens. It's up to us to look out for the other citizens. So I think there was a lot right here and a lot wrong. And I'll tell you why the wrong happened. The wrong didn't happen because Matt's not a smart guy. Uh, the, right, the, the wrong didn't happen because Matt doesn't have great integrity. The wrong didn't happen because Matt um, didn't know what to do. See, Matt knew what to do. Just didn't do it. I mean, it's flat out. So he knows what to do and he doesn't do it. Why? So the why did it happen? No plan. See, and that's the corrective action, right? I mean, I'm talking with my wife first thing this morning to establish an emergency plan. The reason the plan didn't get executed as designed is the plan was never designed. You need a plan for things like this. What would you do? Ask yourself, run scenarios, and say, well, I'd like to have this with me. Well, then where's that going to be so I can make sure when this occurs, I can get that, whether it's a gun, a light, a phone, to go along with me. Given that the threat may actually be to myself and my family, those doors need to be locked. The family needs to be sequestered. The spouse needs to be on the phone. The spouse can communicate better than me. My husband's out there. He's looking into the situation. He's armed. Boy, here's his cell phone number. Let me know when cops are on scene. I'll scream out the window. I'll let him know that you're there. Don't shoot my husband. He's trying to help. Okay? These all need to be thought about in advance. 
Because this scenario that you just heard is more likely than the zombie apocalypse to happen to you tomorrow. I hope it doesn't, but it could. And I hope, like Matt, that you're able to help that fellow citizen be a sentinel. Kudos to you, Matt, for being a sentinel in this uh, in, in this situation. Next time, take your sword and your shield with you when you leave the house, though, and go out to do your duty. And with that, this has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you